Good morning, my name's Carmen, and um, I'm always excited to hear what God is doing around the world, especially when we get a chance to hear what God is doing around the world through one of our very own Daybreak family members. So, Sarah, thanks for being here today. Thanks for sharing what what God's doing in you and through you, and um, we're excited to join you um, in that. So, as I said, my name's Carmen. I'm a staff member here, and as John mentioned earlier, we are continuing this series through the book of Romans this summer, When in Rome. And so far, we've covered the first seven chapters of Romans, and we've talked about this good news that that Paul wants to share with the church in Rome, that salvation is now for everyone and not just for the Jews. We've talked about how salvation is now through grace and not through the law, and we've talked about how that brings freedom, this grace that God offers brings brings freedom, and that we don't have to fear condemnation any longer. And so today we're going to keep continuing this series, and we're going to focus in on the second half of Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be talking about, is it worth it all? Is it worth it all? And really this section of scripture is about anticipation. It's what Paul's diving into here, just this idea of what it means to anticipate what is to come. And I know that we've all had experiences that we've anticipated something. We've hoped for something, right? You have this picture or this image in your mind of something that's going to happen sometime in the future. And you get this this image in your mind and you're excited to work towards that. You're excited to, to get to that place or do that thing or whatever it is that you're excited about. And so there's this energizing part of anticipation. But then there's also the flip side of anticipation, where we're anticipating it, but generally it's something that's a process to get there, right? And so there's also kind of this tiring and exhausting side of anticipation where you really have to work at and plan for and to work through the process of getting to this thing that you're excited about. You know, a few months ago, um, we took a family vacation to the Outer Banks. Um, The end of May, we went down there, and we were really excited about this trip. We had planned it back, I think, in December. We had already made the plans for it. And so this was this thing that we were excited about getting there, and we were all, you know, this was good. We were very excited about the process. And then came the actual process of getting ready to leave for vacation with three kids. And you have to, we pulled them out of a week of school because it was the end of May. So just going through that process of making sure that everyone had their homework assignments all done before they left. And who's going to take care of the dog? Who's going to take care of the fish? Who's going to take care of the mail? And then the actual packing process. What all do we have? What all do we need? And we literally ended up packing the kids in the van and then packing stuff in around them um, because there was just so much stuff to organize and take care of. And we get going down the road and of course someone has to go to the bathroom two minutes into the trips. Then you have to unpack all the stuff and get that kid out and repack all the stuff in. And honestly, there's this point at which you're going, is it worth it? Is this really worth all the effort that we're putting into this process of getting on vacation? But you know what? When we finally get down there to the Outer Banks, And that night when we're sitting on the deck and we're seeing the ocean in the distance and the sun set and you're getting a nice exhale, you're like, that was worth it. It really was worth it in the end. And sometimes I think this is kind of what Paul is talking about here and what, what the Christian life experience feels like. It's this anticipation of what is to come And we're looking forward to it. And that's a great time of excitement. And yet at the same time, there is a process of working toward this thing that we're anticipating, working toward that time when we will be fully restored and fully renewed. And sometimes in the middle of that process of working toward it, we get a little tired. We get a little worn out. And we start to ask that question, is it worth it? 
because sometimes it can be a little bit hard. So that's what Paul is addressing in this passage. Um, I want to read to you where he starts in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18 in your outline today, in your program guide. Um, You start at verse 24. Um, So I'm going to read 18 on through, and then you can pick it up in your program guide there as well um, when we hit verse 24. This is what Paul says. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is eagerly waiting for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too anxiously wait for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something, yet we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. So in many ways, we are kind of groaning with anticipation of this thing that God has promised us will come, and yet we're working through that hard process of getting there. And we've already been restored in God's mind, and we've already been made free, and yet this is still the thing that we hope for. So when I read that passage, it seems a little bit confusing, doesn't it? Because we, we learn from other parts of the scripture and we teach that when Jesus died on the cross, when, when he was resurrected, that the deal was done. The price was paid for our sin. We've been made new. We've been completely restored. It's done in a very real way. It was done and finished. And yet Paul is still saying here that we hope for this thing. We hope for this day. We don't yet have our hands on it. So sometimes it's a little confusing to make sense of how does that all work out? What does that mean really? To say that, well, we're already restored, and yet we're still hoping for that restoration. And you know, for centuries, theologians have have wrestled with what is the best way to make sense of this and understand this, and men much smarter than I have come up with a diagram um, that kind of helps explain this, this tension between the already and the not yet. If you want to sound really smart about it, you can call it two-age eschatology. This is what this diagram kind of helps us understand this, this tension that Paul is talking about. And essentially this diagram, let me just explain it to you really quickly, what this, what this idea, how this idea all comes together, is that it begins with creation over there on the far left-hand side, that first little dot, the creation of the world, the beginning of time as we know it, and it set in motion this plan that God had for our world. Now, what's not indicated on the line there is that then there was the fall, the, the sin of man, and the world that God had originally created was, ended up being broken because of the choices of man. And so God decided that he was going to, to fix that problem and bring restoration to this world through the person of Jesus Christ. And so he sent in the incarnation, you can see that word there, the incarnation, he sent Jesus Christ. Incarnation is simply a term that means God came to earth. Jesus came to earth as a man. And so Jesus lived that sinless life and he served as the atonement for all things that were broken, all things that had gone wrong. He was sinless, he was perfect, he paid the penalty that all of us should have paid for the brokenness so that things could get restored. And so then when Jesus was resurrected, when he died on the cross and then he was resurrected, that line going up there right next to the cross, when he was resurrected, 
it was done and it was finished and it brought in this, this realm of the eternal, of the age to come. So this realm of the already, it's already done. Jesus was resurrected. It paid the price. He paid the price. And in that realm, in a very real sense, hands-on sense, in the realm of the eternal, it was done. It was finished. However, we are still living on this earth. And that line that began at creation, that blue line around, along the bottom, we're still living out that experience. We're still living out in the midst of this world that was broken and hasn't yet been fully restored. So we're in this tension of the already and not yet. And someday Jesus will come back. And that's the second line that you see there, the arrow going up. Someday Jesus will come back and he will make all things right, restore all things, even on this earth will be made right and good again. But in the meantime, we live in this tension between the two realms, the realm of the eternal and the realm of the temporary. And it's in that tension is where we tend to ask, is this worth it? Because there's this tension between these two realms. I'm already saved and yet not fully restored. And it's kind of this bittersweet push me, pull me of knowing what God has promised and yet not fully being able to get our hands on it yet. But you know what I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt? I believe that in that tension is precisely where faith is developed. I think that tension is what God uses as kind of the crucible to be able to develop in things in us that move us forward in our journey with him and really work out this process of salvation inside of us. It's this tension between the realms. And this is what, where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in too, because God incarnate was here in the flesh, but then he left and he sent who? He sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that lives in that tension between the realms, between the eternal and the temporal. He bridges the gap for us. And so in that tension between those two realms is where we can fully experience the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and and interceding for us. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 8. Because if you look in your outline, you can see he continues this passage in Romans 8, beginning in verse um, 26. He says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress, in our tension, in that place of tension between those two realms, the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. For we don't know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. So there's this tension between the realms and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and on behalf of us to God himself. He's interceding and he's working all things together for good, weaving those things together for good. But because we live in that tension between the already and the not yet, sometimes it doesn't always feel like it's all working together for good, does it? Sometimes we're going, really? (laughs) All of this is going to be good in the end? How do you figure that? Because I'm not seeing it right now. And that's when we start to question, is it worth it all? And this is what we're talking about today. Two questions that when we're feeling that tension of, really, is this worth it? Two questions that we can ask ourselves that help reset our mind to what God says about what makes it worth it all. 
And both of these questions come right from, from Romans chapter 8. So let's take a look. Two questions to ask myself when I wonder, is it worth it all? And the first one is, what if God is for me? What if God is for me? This is what Paul says as he continues in Romans um, 8, beginning at verse 31. What can we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And that's already underlined in there for you. I was going to tell you to underline it, and then I realized we already underlined it for you because it's that important. Make note of that. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God who gave us Christ also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No, he's the one who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn? Will Christ Jesus? No, for he's the one who died for us and was raised to life for for us and is sitting in the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is an amazing passage of scripture. Who could possibly be against us? Could it be God? No, God's the one who gave his own son for us. Who could be against us? Could it be Jesus? No, he's the one who died for us and is now sitting and interceding for us. He gave up his own life. If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? But again, as we live out the reality of the tension between the ages, a lot of us are sitting here thinking, I can list a few things that are against me. I can tell you a few things that really feel like they're standing against me. I know in our home, sometimes I wonder if my kids are against me. Because every time I sit down and get myself really comfortable, they're in this, I think, this unified conspiracy to spill something or need something that I have to get up and go again. I'm like, you are not for me in this moment. You are not working with me on this. But there are times in life that we're like, you know what? It doesn't feel like God is for me. It feels like there's a lot of things that are standing against me. And maybe you're going through some tough stuff. Maybe there's a relationship that's just gone a mess in your life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a family relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with one of your kids. And you feel like, oh my word, this is the thing that's standing against me. Doesn't feel much like nothing can be against me because this thing is looming huge for me. Or maybe it's a health issue that you're facing and it's just this big roadblock in front of you and you don't know how you're going to get around it or through it. Or maybe it's a job loss or a financial crisis. Or maybe you have a child that's that's wandered off somewhere that you're wondering, how on earth do I reconnect with this kid of mine? Or maybe it's a dream that's been deferred, something that you've really been hoping for and God keeps closing the doors on it or saying no and you're not understanding. You're saying these are the things that really feel like they're standing against me. And it gets a little exhausting in those moments, doesn't it? Because we, we fail to see the, the anticipation of what is to come, and we're asking the question, what is, if it, is it really worth it? What if this isn't worth it after all? What about these things that are standing against me? It says, if God is for me, who can ever be against me? But it feels like these things are standing against me. And is it worth it to stand up and to fight these giants? Do I have the energy that it takes to stand up and to fight against these giants in front of me? Well, you know, there's a story in the Old Testament. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard it before. It's the story of David and Goliath. 
And the story is about when David is, is just a shepherd boy. He hadn't yet become a warrior. He hadn't yet become a soldier. Didn't have any battle experience at this point when the story is unfolding. But David is sent by his father to go visit his brothers who are serving in the Israelite army. And he is supposed to go visit them, find out how they're doing, and take them some food. And so David shows up on the battlefield. And as he shows up on the battlefield, he sees that the Israelite army is in a standoff against the Philistine army. And there's this giant, giant man, this behemoth man named Goliath, and he's standing in the camp of the Philistine army, and he is, is just mocking and ridiculing and teasing and taunting the Israelites. He's making fun of their God. He's saying all kinds of rude smack talk kind of stuff. And David looks at this guy, and he's like, who on earth is this man who dares defy the armies of the living God. Who is this guy? And the answer that he was given was, well, he's challenging someone to come out and fight him because he thinks that he can conquer anyone and look at the size of him. We believe that he can. Nobody wants to go out there and fight this guy. And what does David do? David says, I'll go fight him. The shepherd boy never had any battle experience or anything. He's like, I'll go fight him. And if you are familiar with the story, you know that David does. He goes out there with a sling and a stone, and he kills that giant. And so I listen to that story, and I'm like, oh my word. What did David know that the rest of the Israelite army didn't? What did David see that the rest of the Israelite army didn't see? What gave him the courage to decide that he's going to go out there and fight against this giant? What did David see that I don't see when I'm up against my giants? And you know what it was that David saw? What made the difference for David was the fact that David wasn't looking at the giant. David was looking at his God. David wasn't comparing his own abilities and his own resources and his own power against the giant. His focus wasn't consumed on the giant. His focus was on his God. And yet I know that so often when I feel like I'm in a hard spot in life, where does my focus go? To the giant. I'm consumed with a giant and I start comparing my resources and my energy and my abilities against how on earth am I going to get through this thing or around this thing instead of looking at my God and saying, you know what? This battle is God's. What if God is on my side? Because that's exactly what David saw. He said, God is on my side. I can't lose this one. God is for me in the midst of this. And when I compare this giant against the size of my God, the giant is worth nothing to that. What if God is for me? And I need to think less about the power of things over me and more about the power of God inside of me. And so the lesson that I learned as I walk away from this story is, what if I start living my life that way? What if instead of comparing myself to the giant, I start thinking in terms of what if God is for me? What if God is on my side? I don't think my giants are going to seem so big anymore when I start thinking that way. When I start believing that God is going to step in and fight for me in the middle of that battle against that giant. If God is for us, who could ever be against us? And I'd love for you to consider this morning what that would look like in your mind's eye if you really believed that God was for you. What would that look like? How would that change the way that you interact with that giant that's standing in front of you? I'd like to do a little exercise this morning, and I know this might feel a little bit funny, but if you'll just bear with me for a second, I'd like everyone to close their eyes, okay? Just close your eyes for a moment and imagine a line in the sand. 
Imagine that there's a line drawn on the sand and you are on one side of that line. And now I want you to consider whatever giant it is that you're facing today. Whatever thing it is that is just sucking the energy and the life out of you, the thing that's making you ask, is this really worth it? This thing that's looming so large in front of you that it feels like it's the only thing that you can see right now. And I want you to imagine that giant. And I want you to imagine that giant on the other side of that line in the sand. So it's you against the giant. And now I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, just picture it as best as you can, God stepping into that picture. I wonder where God steps in for you. Does he step in kind of right in the middle as you picture that in your mind? As kind of a line judge between the two sides? Does he step in on the side of the giant? Or you're wondering, hmm, maybe God's really on that side of the line. Or does he step in on your side of the line? And wherever you imagine God stepping in, I want you to move him now to be on your side of the line. And not just necessarily standing next to you, but maybe kind of pushing you behind him. That now it's God facing the giant, and you are protected behind your God. And God has joined the battle for you on your side, forging a way through this giant, forging a way through this thing that is looming in front of you. This is the God who is on your side, the God of the universe, the one that flung the stars into space and set the planets spinning on their axis. This is the God that is on your side. This is the God who gave his life for yours. This is the God that is on your side. Do you have that picture in your head? And as you consider that picture in your mind, what does it say to you about your worth and about your value about how you're protected, that God is for you on your side. What do you think that God wants to say to you or show you about his desire to stand in for you? Now, as you consider that, I want you to just soak in the words of this song as you consider that God is on your side and God is for you. Forsake me in my weakness and I know 
to remind me who you are. So patient, so gracious, so merciful and true. So wonderful in all you do, you fill me, you see me, you know my every move, you love for me to sing to you, I know that you Jesus, remind us of who you are. You are the God who will never forsake us, even in the middle of our weaknesses. You are the God who is for us, and you will always stand on our side. Thank you for your faithfulness and for your love. Amen. If you ever start to wonder if it's worth it all, ask yourself that question. What if God is for me? You know, a second great question to ask yourself if you begin to wonder if it's worth it all is what if nothing could ever separate me from God's love? What if nothing could ever separate me from God's love? As Paul continues in this passage, he says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Even the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. It's a valid question, isn't it? Because we feel that way sometimes. If hard stuff is happening, doesn't it mean that God doesn't love me anymore? Does it mean that I've fallen out of the graces of God? That maybe he doesn't love me as much? And Paul's saying no. Overwhelming victory is still ours. Our circumstances around us don't depend on how much God loves us. We can't use that as a gauge. And it doesn't matter what kind of stuff is making life hard, whether it's stuff that just happens that you have no control over because we live in a broken world and that just happens, or whether it's stuff that is hard because of a choice that you've made. Sometimes we have hard stuff because of bad choices and bad decisions that we may make, but you know what? Paul is still saying no. Even if there's hardship, even if there's trouble, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us anymore. In all these things, we still have overwhelming victory through Christ's love. Why? Because even in the midst of the hard stuff, and sometimes I think especially in the midst of the hard stuff, especially in that place, God is pursuing us. He is relentless in his pursuit of us. Paul continues, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't, the angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, or our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. So even if it feels like the world is falling down around us, if we look beside that giant, behind that giant, around that giant, we'll see that God's presence is there, always and forever. There's a woman from our Daybreak family. Her name is Patricia. And Patricia knows what it's like to go through some tough stuff in life, some tough circumstances. And she has a great story to tell of the hard stuff that she's been through and her quest for always wanting to find that place where she's loved. And yet realizing when she turned around and looked back over her life journey, that God was always present there. So I'd love for you to hear her story this morning. Let's take a look at Patricia's story. Home without a dad um, and a mom who tried her best to keep four of us fed and clothed and cared for. I mean, I knew I was loved, but I often felt alone. And I grew up knowing I was the mistake and I might've even been aborted. I didn't realize how much that hurt me until I actually heard those words. But I knew I was loved, and more importantly, there were people in my life who made me feel cherished. I used my imagination a lot. I was a great pretender, so I was able to create the rest of my world, and it was happy, and I was a great pretender, so that was enough. Um, Later, uh, we moved to a new neighborhood, and my mother remarried, and I wanted so much to fit in and be accepted. I thought, now I have a father, 
um, who will cherish me and my mother will be happy and instead I watched her um, still being overworked and sometimes drinking too much and I would often be woken up in the middle of the night by arguments. Um, I didn't want anyone to know that so I just pretended like um, where our family was normal, quote normal, like the other families in the neighborhood. Um, when close family friends attempted to abuse me, um, I pretended that it didn't hurt me. Um, uh, it was the first time I used that talent of pretense to cover up shame. When other people in my family didn't believe me, I pretended it didn't hurt me. And then something wonderful happened. Friends started taking me to church. It's the first time I felt the love of Jesus in my life. Um, I truly felt accepted and cherished and part of that family. I didn't have to pretend anymore. And it really was enough. As a teenager, um, that's when I first walked away from God. Um, even though I was a straight-A student and I belonged to many activities and I tried everything to fit in and be part of that world, um, I thought that that would be the place where I would be wanted and noticed and cherished. But I was focused on achieving and not receiving. Um, and I was left feeling empty and discontent. I fit in with everybody and nobody all at the same time. Disappointment started turning to bitterness and all the teenage feelings that we have and I started dating a much older man. And I was lured into believing that he was the one that was going to make me feel cherished. Um, that was the person that was going to make me feel loved and I became so obsessed with that person that um, not only did I walk away from God, but I walked away from all of my goals and I walked away from school and my friends and I started behaving in a reckless manner and I didn't care at all about God or my family or even myself. Um, this unhealthy behavior continued through my 20s and even after that relationship ended, um, even with my um, husband, there were still unhealthy aspects that I just clung to. Um, and then God blessed me after I was married with my children. They really helped me to see that my self-worth and my self-esteem didn't come from somebody else. Um, and they made me feel needed and truly loved and appreciated and, yes, cherished. So it was my children that really brought me back to God and brought me back to church. I wanted them to experience that feeling of belonging and the love of Jesus that I had felt when I was younger. My marriage survived for 25 years, um, but during that time I sinned and I knew it was a sin and I think that was the greatest shame of all and I think that's when the most damage was done, not just to my marriage, but to myself. Then the unthinkable happened. I watched as my youngest child began to behave the way I did when I was a teenager. Um, he got into drugs and he started flunking out of school 
and no matter how hard I tried, I could not help him. Um, I kept trying to do it my way, and nothing worked. I tried everything. Um, all the pretending in the world wasn't going to make that a happy situation. At that time, some really good friends kept inviting me to come to church, and I, yes, I would come. I kept saying I would come, and eventually one day I did. And from the first day I walked in, I, I could just feel God's presence washing over me. And um, I knew it was time. There was no more that I could do for myself. I had to turn everything over, everything. My shame, my past, his life, my marriage. Um, I, I finally had to take it out of my hands and put it into his. Through that journey, I had my friends and family here at Daybreak to help me along. And I could feel Christ in my life coming closer and closer to me. And God saved my son's life as well as mine. I really came to realize then that nothing had ever really been in my hands and that um, I was never alone. God had always been with me. The reason I wasn't hurt when people tried to abuse me was because God had been there. Um, the reason I found my first church family was because um, God knew I needed that and He gave it to me. Um, he also knew the day that I would walk away and abandon him, and he knew the day that I would come back to him, and he was there for me. God loves me, and, and he celebrates my brokenness. He's provided a community where I don't have to pretend anymore. He's restored me. He's promised that there's a way for me to connect with other Christ followers and has provided that way for me. He's provided a means for me to contribute and share the gifts that He's given me. I'm never going to have to go back to that place where I feel alone or neglected. I'm never going to have to pretend anymore to be happy because I can be truly happy. I don't have to feel shame or guilt because He's washed that away for me. convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And yet so often, I think, like Patricia, we get sucked into the world's idea of what it means to be loved, and we think we need to work so hard to earn it or to deserve it because that's what the world around us says, how love is earned. But the truth is that God loves us simply because we're His, not because we did anything to deserve it, not because we did anything to earn it, but simply because we've been created by God himself. He's a father who loves his kids. I can relate to that a little bit as a parent because I love my kids, you know? Not because they do anything to earn it or deserve it from me, but just because they're, they're my kids and they can't do anything that's going to make me love them anymore and they can't do anything that's going to make me love them any less. Now, they can do things that make me enjoy being around them more or less, yes, but... <laughs> My love for them, no, that doesn't change. 
That's consistent, that's solid, and that's how God feels about each and every one of us. His love is solid, his love is consistent, and nothing can ever separate separate us from that love. And I have to ask myself, what difference would it make if I truly lived my life in that kind of confidence, in that kind of security, knowing that I would never be separated from the love of God? If I can truly live that out, you know what? It's a game changer because instead of centering my life around striving and working so hard to earn that kind of love and acceptance, instead of that picture, I'm operating my life out of the center of God's grace. And there's freedom and there's grace there. And it changes the way that I interact with God and it changes the way that I interact with people around me. And you know what? It reminds me that it is worth it all because I can never be separated from the love of God. You know, sometimes I do struggle with the question, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Sometimes when my journey with Jesus feels like it's getting a little stagnant or it's kind of confusing or there's things that are hard and I can't really make sense of them, I lose sight of that end picture and I say, is it worth it? Is this really worth it all? And in those times, I need to go back and I need to remind myself, God is for me, and I can never be separated from him, and that's what makes it worth it. That's the end goal, that complete restoration of being in God's presence and being fully loved by him. And if you resonate with this struggle at all, I want to give you a challenge today, a homework assignment, if you will. I would love for you this afternoon to go home and open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, and I want you to begin in verse 24 through 39, through the end of that chapter, And I want you to read it first, and then I want you to go back, and I want you to write it out. Not word for word from your Bible, but write it out in your own words, as though God was writing this passage directly to you. And as you write it, keep in mind that giant that you might be facing. Keep in mind the things that make it hard, and then focus in on what God is saying to you about what makes it worth it all, about his unconditional love and acceptance, the fact that he steps in on your side. Really process what God wants to say to you about his irrevocable, his immeasurable, his unescapable love for you. And if you do that, I think you're going to find that it truly is worth it all. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you give us hope. (laughs) You give us hope to be fully restored that anticipation of full restoration. And I thank you for that picture that you give us of of what it means to be completely together with you. And I thank you, God, that we can be confident that you work all things together for good. But God, in the here and now, as we struggle with the tension of what you've promised and what, what we haven't been able to fully lay our hands on yet, as we wait in that tension, I ask that you reassure our hearts that it is worth it all. Convince our hearts that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Death can't, and life can't. The angels can't, and the demons can't. Our fears for today, and our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell cannot keep your love away from us. Whether we're high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from your love that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Father, for loving us so completely. Amen. 
Thanks, Carmen. I, uh, I love this part of the Bible, of the verses that we had a chance to read today, because it's such good news. Like we talk a lot about how uh, Jesus is such good news, and I think these, uh, these questions that we ask today remind us of the fact that this is, this is such good news that we're talking about. And today, I just want to invite you to respond to how you've been challenged today, to, to some of the things that God's been saying to you. One way you can do that is just to ask somebody to pray with you. And uh, we have some prayer partners that if any time in the next few minutes you want to head out the back of the room uh, and down the hallway to the left into our green room, there's some prayer partners there that would just be willing to pray with you, just about whatever it is that's going on in your life, you feel like you could use somebody to pray with you today, they'd be willing to do that. The other way is, is something that we do every week at Daybreak, and that's through your response cards. And so I'd like to ask you to reach in uh, to your program guide and pull that out. And uh, on the back of those response cards, there's a few blank lines. And here's what I want to encourage you to do today. I want to encourage you today to write out a prayer to God. Write out a prayer to him uh, about what it is, a way that he's challenged you today. And those two questions that Carmen asked, I think, are a great place to start. What if God is for me? What if God is for me? So maybe your response today is a thankful prayer. It's, God, thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you're, you're, you're standing with me on my side of the line in front of the giants that I'm facing. Or maybe for you, the prayer is more of, God, would you remind me this week that you're for me? Maybe that's what your prayer is, is, is a prayer of asking God to remind you. Or maybe the other question that she asked, what if nothing can separate me from his love? Maybe your prayer today is just saying, thank you, God. Thank you that nothing can separate me from the love that you have for me. Or maybe it's, God, I pray that this week you would remind me that nothing can separate me. Because we all know that, that, that later on this week, something will come up in our lives where we need to be reminded of that. And maybe that's your prayer today. But whatever it is, maybe it's something else. I want to encourage you, don't miss the opportunity this morning to respond to how it is that God spoke to you today.